and welcome to the Changing Directions Filmmaker podcast series presented by 206.com. I am your host, Mark Morin, and I am speaking with filmmaker CJ Hunt, whose documentary The Neutral Ground is currently on the festival circuit with recent screenings at Tribeca and AFI Docs. The film is described as an insightful and bitterly funny look at America's troubled relationship with Confederate monuments. CJ, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for having me, Mark. It's, a, it's exciting to be here. Yeah, thank you. A pleasure to have you. Now, your documentary is a pretty wild ride, and I was trying to figure out where we should start. And then I read that The Neutral Ground wasn't originally even supposed to be a full-length documentary. So tell me how this project began and what led you to deciding to turn it into this documentary feature film. Great. So in 2015, I was living in New Orleans. I had moved there right after college in 2007 to become a teacher and I was not good at teaching. So (laughs) by 2015, I was um, doing a lot more comedy and I was teaching kids comedy after school, but just really trying to write a lot of comedy for myself. And for me, I think comedy is like how I deal with things that are really upsetting. And in 2015, the thing that I thought was the most upsetting was how certain white people wanted to hang on to symbols of the Confederacy in public space. So you saw that even after the massacre in uh, Emanuel Amy Church in Charleston, people still arguing that that flag should be up there. And when the white mayor of New Orleans, Mitch Landrieu, took his cues from organizers and was like, geez, it's weird that we still have all these Confederate monuments in our highest places. And he said, let's take these down. You had white New Orleanians still really pushing back on that. So as they were squaring off in city council, I was like, okay, let me bring a camera there and I will find comedy out of folks who think that moving a a statue of a slave owner is somehow a loss to all of our sense of collective history. But in 2015, we didn't know how dark that story would get. I was like, okay, we can put a mic in people's faces. They'll say insane things about slavery. uh, And then we'll film the statues and we'll get out. We didn't know that Trump was coming. We didn't know about Charlottesville. We didn't know about the insurrection. So, um, I mean, I think those are all things that end up in your lens when you're just looking at how hard people hang on to statues. Now, one thing that was fascinating to me while watching the film was your willingness to put yourself right in the middle of just about any situation from comical moments, like you mentioned, to events that honestly ended up being kind of frightening. So how did you prepare for these types of situations that could be quite unpredictable and in some cases, you know, honestly dangerous? Um, I did not prepare and and I should have. Next question. (laughs) Yeah, I don't I don't know if I I don't know how I prepared I I think for us, the question was really clear, right? Like the question was, how hard are people going to hang on to these monuments? And then, you know, places like Charlottesville, I don't want to say that they're accidental, but they just we end up there not because it's like, ooh, let's find white supremacists. It's just people forget that Charlottesville was started by white supremacists attempting to stop the city council from removing a Robert E. Lee monument. So, you know, when you pick an issue that is like, you know, our ex- the excuses that we make for honoring slave owners in public space, You don't sign up for dangerous things, but dangerous things just end up happening because people are pretty uh, unmoored about their beliefs that those should be in public space. 
Yeah, that's a good point. You're not really going into it saying, hey, all the, these people are going to be carrying these torches and wanting to riot and cause violence and stuff. You, I, I guess that just stuff kind of yeah. develops out of, out of being there. No, yeah, I'm not like, let's go to the front lines where everything's <laughs> happening. It's like, no, we, we are filming a, a municipal issue mm. about city property, about four pieces of city property and whether we can move them to a museum or to someplace else. And that issue becomes like the core of the white supremacist movement right. of six years. No, absolutely, thank you. Now, as you mentioned, comedy is kind of your specialty. Uh, so the documentary leans that direction, although at times it seems hard to justify making light of certain situations or people. So that being said, I felt that you found a good balance and you knew when to kind of lean into the comedy and when to pull back and get a little more serious. So what were those experiences like and how did you, you know, it, was that like more of in the, the editing process after the fact or how did you like create that balance that, that you have in the film? You know, to be clear, I never said comedy was my specialty. You <laughs> said it was my specialty. I said it was my coping mechanism for trauma. But there I will go, take yeah. <laughs> which, which in this world, you know, becomes one specialty. I will Absolutely. take that. I think comedy is helpful because, you know, for me, for me, comedy comes, my comedy comes down to, I think all comedy actually comes down to the three words, isn't this strange? Right. Right. Isn't this strange that that these are here, right? Isn't, isn't it strange that the highest places of honor are to a, an army that lost and somehow built thousands of monuments to themselves? Isn't it strange right. that in, in, in majority black cities, Richmond, uh, you know, Atlanta, New Orleans, all of these cities have the highest concentration of statues to slave owners? You know, like that is strange. That is the point of the comedy. And I think it is fitting for white supremacy because best thing white supremacy does is say i'm not strange at all i'm just natural i belong here this is just history we should have army we should have statues of traders and slave owners in front of every courthouse this is normal right so that is the comedic approach but i do think that there are places uh, I, I won't give anything away but there are places in the film where that has to that falls short a little bit as an approach because white supremacy is becoming so vivid and violent that you don't have to say charlottesville isn't this strange that it is it is apparent to us how strange it is right no that's a really good point thank you for for elaborating on that no this is your well, first and then i would also say that some of the comedy is found in the edit because we understand that the film will only work if it's accessible, you know? So folks, you know, there, there are incredible documentaries about the criminal justice system and yeah. the persistence of slavery and, you know, colonialism that are still on my watch list because I'm not ready emotionally to like get real heavy. I want folks coming in, seeing the reviews and the reviews have been great of like, this is really funny, this is biting, this is, you know, a satire and then, they realize that the core of it is actually really harrowing, but they never feel like they have to like do some emotional stretches in order to watch this film. Absolutely, and I think that's a good point too, where the film has to be you. You know, you're making the film, you're the director, so it's coming yeah. from your point of view. So you don't want it to be a completely dark and, you know, here's all of these terrible things happening. So yeah, I think that's a really good good way to look at it as well, is, is like, here's a film by CJ Hunt from CJ Hunt's, you know, personal lens. So yeah, that, that makes a really good, good point there. Yeah. 
Now, this is your first feature film, as I mentioned, although you've been in the industry for a while working with Trevor Noah on The Daily Show, as well as projects for anywhere from A&E, BET, and MTV. With all that under your belt and then making this film, what is the biggest thing that you learned while making a movie? That one, you know, movies are not long TV shows. Yeah. I wish, <laughs> I wish <laughs> this, this movie would have been made maybe faster if I had learned that in 2015, you know, that I was able to become a writer and a director and producer in late night because I was just a real nerd for late night. You know, I was, even as I'm making the film, I was living in New Orleans just watching everything you know watching full frontal with sam b and watching the nightly show every night and watching the daily show and and all of these shows so i think i was able to learn that structure really quickly of this is how satire in late night and in the field works but the process of making my own 82 minute documentary the temptation is really high to be like i'm just gonna do the tricks for my for my day job i'm just doing my day job but we're gonna do it for 82 minutes and that is not true. Documentaries are a whole different language and require like a different level of like vulnerability and truth telling. And, you know, some of the cinematography can be the same of, oh, this is how we're going to set up a shot. This is how we're going to set up an interview. But I don't I do not think I was ready for the level of depth and revelation that a, that a that a documentary project actually has to have. You know, all my original footage was like me doing man on the street jokes with people about being like, you know, it, it, would you, you like the statue if it was just the horse? We took the slave owner up, it's just the horse. You know, these like, these like jokes. And then I think folks were like, what is the heart of why you're doing all of this? Why are you like so obsessed with white supremacy? So then the film becomes like kind of a more messy picture of why we, white supremacy still has a hold on the country and why it still has a hold on folks like me who are trying to ask questions about it. I know, that's great. Yeah, it definitely goes a lot more in-depth than what you would see on a, on a late night show. Now, with all of those challenges that you faced, what was the hardest thing about making this film? I think the hardest thing about making this film is accepting that we are not able to, and it is not our job to make racists less racist. Mm. That I think that even in the trailer of this film, you see my dad laughing in my face at this idea <laughs> that we can like flip bigots. Right, right. But uh, even for long periods of making the film, I thought, okay, well, if you just show folks facts and if we dig up the right amount of facts about how unequivocally the Confederacy wrote down that it was seceding for slavery and every secessionist state wrote this in their founding documents and all of you can google this on a helpful website called google just by searching <laughs> secession documents or declarations of causes like these folks would not stop talking about slavery on the eve of secession and i was like okay it's about digging up enough of those documents and being in proximity to and building relationships with folks who are still lost in myth that we can show them. I do not think we can show them. I think showing, acknowledging the truth for them is like negating how their world is built. And I think that the receipts that we dig up for are actually for someone else. I think they are for white folks who are in the middle and 
are like, I grew up with states' rights. It never really made sense, but I don't think about it. So I think it's for those folks. I think it's for communities of color who are fighting to get these symbols out of their communities, um, to be able to have ammo and be able to have some sort of arrows in the quiver of swaying their city councils. And I think it's for kids. I think it's for kids of, of all races. Uh, you know, those young people, those young white folks in Charlottesville, those kids were raised by baby boomers who told them that racism does not exist and that we're all the same. So of course they are susceptible to extremists right. telling them that if racism doesn't exist, what the hell are these black people complaining about? They're taking something from you. Yeah. So that's who made those Charlottesville kids. And you know, that's why our whole impact campaign is just gonna be focused on how do we get the film into schools? How do we uplift folks who are doing good teaching about the civil war and slavery? Oh, there's some really great points that you bring up because the white supremacy and the racism, it's so systemic and so generational. That's just the reality for those people who are on that far end of that, of that spectrum. And yeah, you really can't alter their reality even when you are actually showing them physical receipt. So yeah, that's a that's a really good point that you bring up. Thank you. Also, some of those Charlottesville kids are not like, you know, a lot of those kids were not from the South. Right. You know, right. like like they they are born of white liberalism and this idea that race is why are we even talking about race? And when you deprive your kid of of tools to critically understand how race works in this country, yeah, they're gonna end up with a tiki torch at some point. That's, and we have and lawmakers now trying to pass laws, making sure that our kids do not have the tools to critically understand the country. Yeah, I think that's the dangerous aspect of it is that kind of pipeline that people end up going down. Now, I wanted to go back to you had just mentioned the the scenes with your dad, which to me, those were some of the more entertaining scenes, even though it's pretty, pretty brief. Now, yeah. he's as you mentioned, he's questioning you and your motives for the documentary. And then as you're showing that, you're like, you take the camera and show like the Aunt Jemima syrup bottle right there at the table that you're having this discussion of. So how involved was your dad in those, creating those scenes? And it, it seemed to be like it was pretty important for you to add that to where you should even be questioning yourself to some point. Yeah, I mean, shout out to Firelight Media. They are the collective of filmmakers of color that I'm a part of, and they're one of the first funders for the film. And when I showed them the footage originally, it was all man on the street, jokey joke stuff. And they were like, number one, this is funny. Number two, what the hell are you doing? Like, <laughs> what, what is any of this for? You know, you're not from the South. My whole dad's side of the family's from Jackson, but Jackson, Mississippi, but I am, you know, a New England boy. And so they're like, so why are you hung up on this story? What are you, what are you even doing chasing all of this white supremacy? And I explained, I'm like, because I grew up in a house where all we talk about is white supremacy. And it makes my blood boil when these folks are like, the Civil War had nothing to do with white supremacy. These statues have nothing to do with white supremacy. So I want to go get them. I want to go prove them wrong. I want to go catch the ignorance of their arguments. And they're like, well, I think you probably have to do some truth telling about why you're so obsessed with the white supremacy stuff. Because that's not everyone, but. Um, and so they're, it was like, okay, we got to go home and we got to talk to dad. Because, you know, as you see, talking to dad for like a minute, you're like, oh, I get why CJ is really into like chasing these white supremacists. Definitely. And then it's like, it's like not even hard for like, 
you know, we're not like, we're going to do an Aunt Jemima scene. It's like, you got to give your parent an activity to do when you're filming them or else they're anxious. So he loves to make pancakes. And in shopping, we were like, we saw the Aunt Jemima stuff and we were like, damn, this is crazy that this is still a thing. Let's just, let's just use this. And didn't know that, you know, as the, as we are releasing the film, you know, Aunt Jemima is not a thing. It's just like, oh, when you are talking about white supremacy and you're looking for props in your environment, they are right there. Right, right. No, thank you. Now, when you look back on making the film, what's the number one thing that makes you feel gratitude? I feel gratitude for all of the New Orleanians who allowed us into their spaces and allowed us to be part of their stories. You know, so Quest Moore of Take Him Down NOLA, he's the first activist and organizer that I talked to. You know, he's the one who says, how can you scream Black Lives Matter if everything in the city around you is telling you that they don't? You know, he, he let me interview him when I thought that I was still making, you know, a late night bit. You know, they take him down, Nola let us sort of in bed with them for every, you know, public action that they did. And Freddie Evans and Luther Gray of the Slave Marker Project, you know, made time for us on like a, on a, on a scorching hot day. And the same with the Whitney of like, these are folks who are involved in reckoning work and truth telling work and shouldn't have any time for jokes and made a space and, and trusted me to be like, all right, CJ, I trust you enough that I can go with whatever you're doing in this scene and know that on the other end, it's going to be good and it's going to be impactful and it's going to be for a reason. Oh, that's great. It definitely seemed like you had a lot of cooperation from these key figures. Uh, yeah, that's outstanding. Now, who are the biggest influences for you within the industry? I'll go sequential of, not sequential, chronological of, my first biggest influence was Marlon Riggs, um, black filmmaker, really iconic, also responsible for the film Ethnic Notions, uh, which I saw in college. And I hope that this film can do what for college kids, what Ethnic Notions did for me about being like, oh my God, you know, the, the media that we make is what creates race, you know, right. that, that every, racial idea that we have is, is cemented in media somehow. That That's what that film was about. And then I'm really also moved by Sasha Baron Cohen. You know, if you watch even his earliest Ali G show stuff, he's able to infiltrate these spaces and get Americans to reveal the ugliest parts of being American. Right. And I think now everyone's like, he's so extreme in his jokes. And But like, if you look at the core of his work, when he's getting you know, folks at a rodeo in 2003 to sing, throw a Jew down a well, or when he's like, you know, being a being a gay cheerleader at an Alabama football game and people are threatening his life. Right. I think that is a level of, of expose that I've always been enamored with of, damn, you're showing America to us in our in our ugliest form. And then right now, I'm really lifted by the work of, of Garrett Bradley, uh, director of Time. And I'm really lifted by the work of Lloyd Limbal, who is uh, a director of this documentary called Through the Night, because both of those tackle time, tackles the criminal justice system and, and what it means to lock people away for their life or for long periods of time. And Lloyd Limbal is telling a story about 24-hour daycares and 
why such an organization would even need to exist, you know, in terms of how poorly we pay women and families. Right. Both of them are so centered in love in their work and where I am centered by trying to catch white supremacy, they are centered <laughs> in love. And I think my practice moving forward is going to be about how do you make films that are love letters to something rather than a weapon against something. Oh, that's great, thank you. So who inspires you that's not a filmmaker? You mean just in life? Yes. If dead, I would pick James Baldwin um, because he does not mince words at all in every <laughs> media thing that he is part of. Right. Um, so, you know, this being the first time that I'm like talking to a lot of press, I'm like, okay, well, how can I, what would Baldwin say? In this? <laughs> Did he mince his words here? And then uh, who else, who else really inspires me? Living. You know, I know this is all like race, race, race as Elaine, but I am really inspired by Nicole Hannah Jones of, you know, what Nicole Hannah Jones has been able to do as a journalist has like changed the country. You know, like, like I don't know if you are able to name a contemporary journalist who's had a larger impact on the country, whose work the president is on the mic speaking about trying to ban. Right. You know, so in terms of how do we tell the truth about the past out loud and what happens when you see how allergic America is, you know, she, she had to fight for tenure at UNC and <laughs> Republicans think it's an electoral strategy to talk nonstop about her work. Like one can only be so lucky to, and so brave to make work that all white supremacists rally against, you know, I think it's, it's a mark that you're doing the right thing. No, absolutely. Now, what is something that you saw or learned or experienced while making the documentary or even in just recent times in the last year? What is something that you've experienced that gives you hope for the future? Southern Poverty Law Center anchored a lot of our work in terms of, you know, providing data about monuments. And they estimate that over 300 monuments have come down since the Charleston massacre in 2015. Half of those have come down since the lynching of George Floyd. Oh, wow. So if you think about that, that means that we were able to move more monuments in one year than we were able to move in five. So, you know, I am never excited about or emboldened by these sort of giant acts of white violence that, that now wake everyone up. Right. But I am emboldened by the consensus and power with which we are moving against white supremacy, that there seems to be less vacillation and less leaving space for, but not everyone wants to take this monument down. Now here's three minutes of a man in a tweed jacket telling you about his grandfather. You know, like it seems that we have consensus now that these are, these are slave owners. These are a, a, a specific story about the past and they are not all of our story and therefore they should move. You know, and municipalities know that if there's a white supremacist monument, the people eventually are going to challenge it. And so municipalities are taking down their own monuments because they're like, I hope this doesn't get pulled down. Maybe we should just spend a couple thousand dollars and get it into a museum. You know, so I am throughout the film. A thing I appreciate about the film is that in 82 minutes, you're watching the world change. You're watching these giant moments of possibility change, you know, for the first hour of the film. 
You exist in a world where where monuments have never been pulled down. Right. And then by the end of the film, you know, and and the whole film is a is a time ticker counting how long it takes to get these monuments down. But by the end of the film, you know, multiple Columbus statues are being beheaded and thrown in the river. Right. So how I, the the aftermath of of George Floyd's lynching has made me hopeful about what we are able to do when we realize what these stakes are and when we're able to speak clearly about that. I know I totally get that. Thank you. Now, I mentioned the film festivals earlier. What has that been, experience been like for you so far? I, I've loved it. You know, we we premiered at Tribeca, you know, in, in the burning in the burning heat on a pier. <laughs> that that was a really, really beautiful thing. What I was not expecting was that we were going to be able to get into theaters. You know, so AFI Fest put us in a theater. And that was unthinkable for filmmakers last year, as you know, uh, because of COVID, of maybe these films just for the next couple of years, will just have to go straight to streaming. And actually being able to feel that with audiences is really uh, incredible because we've made this film without access to test audiences, really. Oh, yeah. That like, because of COVID, all, you know, by the time the film was what it was, we're, we're sending it out in links being like, do you have notes? But not sitting with an audience being like, ooh, that's where people are laughing. Ooh, this is a section where people are laughing and then they're horrified really quickly after that. So I don't even think I knew the film until we saw it with an audience. And you also did at least one Q&A that I saw. That, that had to be a unique experience given exactly what you're describing as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You're talking about our Tribeca Q&A with Nicole Hannah-Jones? Yes, yes. Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm just explaining to you, she's like one of my heroes. And then she agreed <laughs> to do a talk back for, for Tribeca. And that was not just like, yay, we have a we have a, a black intellectual celebrity. But it was, she was talking about what is happening for her in her head as she's attempting to make white audiences stick with harrowing truths about the past. She's talking about incorporating her own father into the story and things that just made me as a filmmaker feel less alone. Because I think that when you're making films about this stuff and when you're spending time on plantations and talking to people who tell you to your face that slavery wasn't that bad, it's a really isolating experience. So then to be talking with her and Roy and all of us talking about sort of the mental drain and cost of trying to make white people care about what this country's done to black people, that made me feel less alone. So I wasn't in a star boy place. I was like, wow, thank you. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, absolutely. I'm glad you're able to experience that. That's that's amazing stuff. Now, aside from the festivals, The Neutral Ground is also now available to watch on PBS as part of their POV documentary series. And it's actually the premiere episode for this new 34th season of POV, which is amazing. And congratulations. Thank you so much. Yeah, they released us on um, July 5th. And... You know, it's an honor to be kicking off the season, but I also like being as close to July 4th as possible. You know, as the country is talking about freedom and how great it is that, you know, we are we are free country. And the moment we decided to strike out for our own freedom, it's nice to have a film about how consistently the country has denied and sabotaged the freedom of black and brown people and how it has honored and still honors in its public space people who we only know for their attempts to deprive Black people of freedom. So yeah, as close as we can get to folks celebrating that uh, and and have this film be part of that combo, uh, the better for us. 
Yeah, I thought that was really, really important and really amazing for you to have this moment. You know, with uh, July 4th, the film coming out, you know, Juneteenth was just made an official holiday last month. So I guess uh, you kind of just answered it already, but what does it mean for you to have your film available on a platform like PBS during this particular time? You know, we, ch we chose public broadcasting for a reason. I want this film to be in as many households as possible yeah. or free as part of the public conversation so that we can be helpful for the combos and challenges that we have now, right? So cities all across the country are figuring out what to do with their Confederate symbols, yeah. right? Yeah. Like I have a Google alert set and it is full every single day of this is what's happening in North Carolina. And now this is what's happening in Arizona. And now this is what's happening in uh, New Haven at Yale University. You know, so, so I think that every one of these cities should not feel like they have to reinvent the wheel. We have like a document on film that is engaging, that has all of the documents that tell you exactly what the Confederacy was, and also follows these activists to show you, you know, their tactics with how you make a city move when a city is refusing to move, you know? So I wanna be helpful there. All across the country, these, these white Republican governors are attempting to and successfully passing bans, restricting the freedom of teachers to teach truthful history. Right. So I want our film to be helpful to that fight. You know, all across the country, people are attempting to make the connections between Jim Crow and the policing of black bodies and slavery to our tolerance for police abuse now. And the reason that we've seen more, you know, black men being executed on Facebook than we've seen cat videos, you know, like, so, so all of these places are trying to have these combos about monuments, about critical race theory, about what should be taught in schools, about what we can acknowledge about our past. Even in Canada, just last week, they were taking, they were pulling down a, a statue of Cook you know, and they're trying to talk about settler colonialism and, and yeah. what this country has done, what their country has done to indigenous people. So I think we're hitting at the right time and I don't want people to have to pay for this film. I want it to be free and I want it to be in classrooms and part of everyone's conversation. So it's exciting to be on PBS. No, that, that is amazing. I'm glad that you've got that type of a focus on what you want this film to be and how you want it to impact people. So thank you for explaining that. I do think it is, I, yes. I think it is something we can measure. It's not just like, wow, great film. I didn't realize racism was bad. I think we can measure the success of the film and the success of our movements right now in, by August, how many black children are returning to schools still named after people who would have had them enslaved? We can measure that. We can measure by the time we talk next year, how many of the 2000 remaining Confederate memorials and symbols in public space have been renamed or moved? How many of these dumb critical race theory bans are we able to defeat when we move together and tell Republicans, yo, your whole thing is individual liberty and, and fighting against censorship and suspicion of state power. And now you are using government to censor teachers. This is whack. We are going to move in power against you. You yeah. know, like, I, I think those are things we can measure. No, absolutely. Thank you. CJ, thank you for making The Neutral Ground. I really learned a lot from the film. I learned a lot from speaking with you today. So it's been great speaking with you and I really appreciate you taking the time to be part of these conversations. Mark, thank you for making space for these combos and the work that you do. And, and it's, been, it's been so nice talking to you.
This is the Changing Directions podcast interview series featuring comedian, producer, and now filmmaker, the one and only CJ Hunt. Please subscribe to the podcast, leave a review on iTunes, and share on social media. Any way you can support the podcast is very much appreciated. You can find every podcast episode and all of my movie reviews, including my review of The Neutral Ground, on 206.com. This is the Changing Directions podcast series presented by 206.com. Thank you very much for listening.